0: Hey, I don't know if you've ever been to Hometown Buffet. Any of you buffet lovers? No buffet lovers. Okay, there are a few. Is it because you get your money's worth? Is that what it is, Pat? Or is it because of the selection? A little of both. Okay. Well, you know, Hometown Buffet, I mean, you just love the name Hometown because it, it brings these warm feelings of welcoming and familiarity. In fact, there are a lot of words that are connected to home. I think there are over a hundred words connected to home. Uh, When troops are coming home, we call it a homecoming, don't we? Uh, There are homegrown fruits. Uh, We have a homeland, homemade, homeboy, homebound, homeowner, homeport, homeroom, homeschool, homesick. We have a lot of homes that we are connected to. And in each and every place that is your town, you're familiar with Places, people, and things. Tammy and I, as you know, came from Missouri. We were there for nine years pastoring a large church, and God laid it on our heart to come plant a church here. Don't ask us why. We didn't even know Las Cruces existed, and suddenly he twisted our hearts round, made us fall in love with you, the people here, this town, and we left, but our town was only 4,000 people. We knew everybody, and everybody knew us. If you come from a small town, you're familiar with everyone, and you know everybody's what? Business, don't you? And everybody knows your business as well. But in Jesus' day, and this is the context that we're going to find ourselves in Mark chapter 6, the context that we find ourselves in is this. You think that a small town... How many of you consider Las Cruces a small town? One, two, three, four, okay. Uh... It's a big town to some. In Jesus' day, you have to remember that villages were very tight-knit. You didn't live far apart from one another. In fact, families lived next to families, lived next to families you just built onto your to your homes. Uh, that's uh, just the way it was. And people walked everywhere they went. And they saw everything that you did. Uh, I don't know if any of you still hang clothes out in the laundry line to dry. I mean, when you do that, everybody sees your what? Your dirty laundry. (laughs) I don't know who said that, but they're right. (laughs) They see your underwear. And people, by and large, in these small villages, the village that you died in was probably the village that you were born in. So you live your entire life there. Now... You go to the same marketplace, you go to the same synagogue, you go to the same tailor, the same carpenter, the same butcher, the same baker, the same what? Candlestick maker, right? You know everybody's business. Now, this is our text. Now, before we get to the text, Tammy, Heather's not here, so I'm going to ask you to throw up the first slide for me. I want, I want this thought to be running in the back of your mind as we explore this text, the gospel message has become so familiar that most people actually don't know it. Ah, but they think they do. And I'm talking about America. Oh yeah, I've heard the gospel. Have they really heard the gospel? They just think they've heard the gospel because they've seen something from Hollywood or they've seen some other thing uh, maybe in the newspaper or somewhere else. So I just want that thought to be right in the back of your mind as we explore this text. So we're in Mark chapter 6. I'm going to begin at verse 1. I'm reading out of the ESV and it reads this way. He went from there Remember, we've been going through the book of the Gospel of Mark. And so to remember last week, Jesus has raised uh, the little girl who had been uh, dead, 12 years old, and the woman that had been bleeding for 12 years old. And boy, he, he uh, raised them and healed them. And so that's the context. And he went away from there and came to his hometown. What's his hometown? You all said, Nazareth. And his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took, what does your version say? They took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could not do m- any mighty work there except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed him them. Verse 6, And he marveled because of their unbelief. Here's the very first fill in the blank. very first fill in the blank. They really thought they knew Jesus. They watched him grow up. They watched him in the marketplace. They watched him in the neighborhood. They watched him at church. Uh, They probably owned things that he or his father had built. Uh, Never thought that this kid was special and that he was going to leave town and make it big. Now, today we have American Idol, right? And you can come from a small town of 4,000, but everybody knows there that, boy, that guy's got a good voice or that girl's got a good voice. And, And it does not surprise them that they go on to fame. It surprised them that Jesus went on to fame. And they have these questions, or are they statements? Tammy, can you throw the next slide up on there? Look at, is it a question or are they making a statement? And look that they go where, what, how, and this. If you were to go back to the text, those are the the words that are used. Where did he get these things? See, they weren't questioning the content or the quality of Jesus' teaching. They just said, we know this boy. Where in the world did he get this kind of wisdom, this teaching? This is great stuff, but we know It didn't come out of nazareth so where'd he get so smart because he's speaking with profound wisdom and truth you ever hear something out of the word of god and it just resonates in your heart and 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 you just say you know that's true that has a ring of truth to it but deep down inside you just say you know that that is truth It resonates, and intuitively, these people are hearing Jesus so much so they attract great crowds. In fact, Nicodemus met him at night and told Jesus, We know you are from God, and you are a great teacher. See, they're not questioning what Jesus was saying. They're questioning, how did he get this stuff? I mean, look at the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus taught with great wisdom on relationships, truth, heaven, hell, divorce, murder, forgiveness, unforgiveness, adultery, prayer, persecution, love, hate, the heart, grace, humility, repentance, hypocrisy, lying, greed, money, stumbling blocks, signs and wonders, pride, and being born from above. Only he's from above that could tell us the things that we don't know and put The things of earth in their proper perspective so when Jesus speaks they're like man he's got it he's right on track but they're questioning him they thought they knew Jesus and they couldn't get past their familiarity with him where's the diploma where's the documentation uh he didn't go to rabbi school they knew his past and go back to the text for just a moment It says in verse 3, is this, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? Now that that does not sound offensive to us, does it? Son of Mary. In Jewish culture, you never refer to the boy except for the son of the father. See, they knew that Jesus had a past at least mom and dad had a past and they were making kind of a slur saying you're an illegitimate boy because we don't really know who your father is oh yeah we know your mother but you're the son of Mary not the son of Joseph typically you would have said the son of Joseph but they slander him by saying the son of Mary now because of his past it casts suspicion so what's this really about we know something fishy's going on here. I don't know if you've ever had a chance to go to a magic show, but you know you're being fooled, don't you? You purposely pay money to be fooled. You go and you're like, "You're going to be entertained." You're going to say, "I don't know how he does it. I don't know how she does it. They mix the balls around, they put rings together, they disappear, but I know I'm being fooled." In the Greek language, the original language that this was written in, the usage of the words indicate that they're suspecting that Jesus is doing some of his stuff with hocus pocus. Sleight of hand. After all, they know him. Isn't this just the carpenter? There are at least two people in that crowd that said, hey, I'm I'm married to a sister. I know this guy. I've been part of the family. Do you see how when we become too familiar with some things... We lose the the awe in it. They just couldn't believe it. Now, this isn't the first time Jesus has come home. And Luke chapter 4, you can turn there. I'll turn there real quick and just. Luke chapter 4, this is the first time Jesus comes home. And they try to throw him off a cliff. But before they throw him off, try to throw him off the cliff, he says these words. They hand him a scroll. He goes to Isaiah. He rolls it up to Isaiah 61, and he reads these words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and he gave it to the attendant and sat down. It says, the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And then Jesus says this, today, today all of this has been fulfilled in your your hearing. See, Jesus talked where he got his wisdom from, who he was, what he was about. He was the Son of God. He got it because he is the Son of God. So the second fill in the blank is this, They took offense at him. That word is from the word scandalizo. What do you think what word we get from it? Scandal. The idea of causing to stumble or trip up. Jesus' village is offended by his claims because of his commonness, his familiarity, and they thought they knew him. They thought that he was no better than they were. See, the Pharisees labeled him a drunk, a glutton, a friend of sinners, and a sinner himself. A traitor, really. And the crowd, they just labeled him as something special from their town, but not special enough to take heed. So look at the text. Go back to verse 5. And he could not do any mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Here's the last fill in the blank. They chose unbelief in Jesus. How sad. They had the evidence, they had the Son of God in their presence. And because they couldn't get their mind wrapped around that God became man. They couldn't get their mind wrapped around what happens to a life when God is in the center of it. They just couldn't get past that. You know, faith, the power of belief can be seen in Scripture, all throughout Scripture. Abraham believed God and became the father of a great nation. Israel and Joshua, they had faith in God and they conquered Canaan. David had faith in God, and who did he slew? Goliath. You can laugh at me. I mispronounce words all the time. Naaman. He was a Syrian. And through Elijah and faith in, in that, he was healed of his leprosy. Daniel believed God, and what happened to the lions in the den? Their mouths were shut. How about the Roman centurion soldier that said, hey, you just say the word and I know he'll be healed, and his servant was healed. See, there's all sorts of faith throughout Scripture. Two blind men believed in Jesus and left with their sight. Last week, a a woman who had been hemorrhaging, if I can say that word right, bleeding for 12 years said, if I could just touch the tassel of his robe, I will be healed. And she was healed. And Jairus went in and saw his dead 12-year-old daughter, his only daughter and his only child. And Jesus encouraged him. Remember from last week? Believe. Keep on believing. And what happened? She was raised back from the dead. But unbelief is in Scripture as well. Adam and Eve failed to believe God and the whole world was cursed. The world through, through Noah did not believe and perished. Everyone through a flood. Pharaoh failed to believe God and lost his kingdom. Israel failed to obey God and wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And the hometown of Nazareth failed to believe Jesus and he could not do any miracles there. Tammy, can you throw the next slide up? Unbelief is a choice. It is saying no to God in spite of the evidence. See, they saw the evidence, but they couldn't get past it. When Jesus becomes too familiar, we become callous or even jaded to the truth, to the real Jesus. Sociologists have a saying. Tammy, can you put the next slide up? Walk by a problem seven times without doing anything about it. And you will begin to accept it as the new normal and not do anything about it. See how familiarity works sometimes? So, oh yeah, yeah, I, I see that. It's no big deal. It's no big deal. And the Gospel message has become so familiar that people actually don't know it. But they think they do. People think that the Gospel is a ticket to heaven. Well, in a way, it is the only way to be saved, right? Are you with me on that? Jesus has said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but through me. So yes, but if that's all the gospel is, is a ticket to heaven, then we've missed what the gospel really is. And there are people out there that say, I'm okay. I don't need Jesus. I understand who Jesus is, and I celebrate Him at Christmas, and I go to uh, hunt Easter eggs at Easter time, but that's all of Jesus I need. Some people think that the gospel is just fire insurance. I'm going to live my life in such a way that I think that the scales are going to be tipped. More good and less bad, and it's going to tip the scales in my favor. But just in case, I'm going to say I believe in Jesus for a little peace at night when I sleep, for a little insurance. People think that the gospel is just another religious option. It's all there is. Just, it's just another road. Some people actually think the gospel is for the dumb, the gullible, and the weak people of this world. Those that have addictions, those that are dysfunctional, those that are filled with stinking thinking. They need Jesus. I'm doing okay without him. People think that the gospel is about social uplift. That, oh, it's just. An organization that goes around and does good things. Do we do good things? Yeah. Uh, Doniana Elementary School called me this week and said, hey, can you bring the bouncy houses? We want your church to come and supply bouncy houses for our event on March 16th or 17th or whatever. Absolutely, we'll be there. We did the gingerbread house contest for the entire city. Why? Are we just about social uplift? And you said, no. But if you're a Christian, you're automatically engaged, aren't you? To love your neighbor, to love your town, to love the people around you. And so it's not just about social uplift. Some people out there think that Christianity is just about morality. That there's somehow this list of do's and don'ts and boy you just have to walk that narrow path and they miss what the gospel is about is morality involved in christianity and you said yes but is that the essence of the gospel no it's it's not some people think the gospel is about controlling the masses through propaganda or a fairy tale to make people feel better about death the gospel is the power of god unto salvation The gospel is the power to change lives right here and now. The gospel is an invitation to come live with God again. We were in the garden, Adam and Eve were there walking in the coolness of the day and because of their rebellion God said I'm going to have to have you leave my presence until we can fix this issue, this rebellion jesus comes along he's fixing our sin problem isn't he through the cross but the gospel is so much more than just fixing our sin problem it's an invitation to come live in the kingdom right here right now that when you wake up you're not alone he has promised to never leave you or forsake you you have kingdom living right now if you choose or he says, you know, as soon as I die, I get to go to heaven. As soon as I die, I get to be in the presence of the Lord. As soon as I die, I get to really understand what faith, love, and hope is. When I die, the, all those things are going to be revealed to me. And God says, no. Jesus' invitation as he preached the gospel was to come live now. There are four kinds of relationships that have to be restored and are restored because of the gospel. The first one is the relationship between you and God, Right? Thank you, Jesus, that I can enter into the presence of God now. Second relationship is my relationship that's horizontal. My relationship with my fellow man. God comes in and starts transforming me, my life and teaching me what it means to love you and for you to love me and to love my neighbor and to love my enemy and to love those that are lost and love those that are are confused and love, man, it's about love. And then that third relationship that gets right is the relationship I have with me. With me. Finally gets right. Because the gospel comes in and starts transforming my life. And the last one is my relationship with creation. My purpose in life. Where did you come from is answered where are you going is answered in the gospel your identity of who you are does your bank account identify you does your the kind of car you drive how big your house is how wonderful your children are are i mean you can attach anything because the world loves to do that attaches something whether it's materialism or social uh, prestige, you just name it. And the gospel comes along and says, your identity is in Jesus. That's where your identity is. For I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but what? Christ lives in where? In me. And the life I now live, I live by faith. Because He loved me and gave Himself up for me. and then he changes my purpose my purpose for living the gospel is what our world needs today an invitation to come live with God again and learn how to really live jesus said i came i I come to give life and to give it to the full, but the thief comes to still kill, and destroy. Jesus is offering life. Does that mean all your problems go away? How many of you still have problems? (laughs) Let's raise our hands. Does that mean our health issues go away? No. Does that mean my relationships are all now beautiful? No. But God is doing a work in you. He is changing you right now. As you are yielded to His Spirit, He is changing you. And that's the power of the Gospel. If you were to die tonight, I hope that you have the confidence because of not what you've done, but because of Jesus. And I, the Apostle John said, I write these things that you may know that you have eternal life. There is no fear. That if you were to die tonight, you would be not in the presence of of God. You will be. Not because of who you are, but because of who Jesus is. Are you with me on this? Turn to your neighbor. Just turn to your neighbor and and nod your head. Just, yeah, right? It is about Jesus transforming our lives. But here's the crux of today's message, though. Because I could have talked about just being rejected. Sometimes you're rejected as a as a Christian. You know, there are times when you're just rejected. You're doing the thing, or you come home, you're a changed. Life. You come. You, you. Did Did you read the paper who who died yesterday? Roe versus Wade. She is the Roe. She's the one that brought abortion to America but in the late 80s when she was working at an abortion clinic Lord got a hold of her heart and she said what have I done she accepted Christ and then has written several books talking about the tragedy the tragedy of, of taking a life in a womb and she went on record and said I don't care if you've been raped now that's horrible That's horrible. But she was so convinced in the power of God and the power of healing of Jesus that she became quite an opponent of of abortion and spoke out. Some people vilified her. Some people said she's doing this for the money. She's doing this for the book deal. No. She did it for real. Because Jesus is real when we Invite Him into our life. And He comes in and He changes us. Tammy, how long have we been married? 32 years, right? Were there any times early in our marriage that we had to sit on the edge of the bed at 2 o'clock in the morning to hash things out? Muy poquito. A few times. Yeah, you're with me. You know who sat on the bed every night, though, for me? Jesus, Rob, you're not a very good husband. You need to do this better. Rob, you're not a very good father. Not in a condemning way, but in a life transformation way. Because that's what the gospel is about. And the invitation to come and be transformed into the image of Jesus. And the world doesn't know that. They think they know who Jesus is. And we're his, His examples And that's why we have to be loving. I want Christians to be known what they're for and not so much what they're against. Are you with me on that? Say amen if you are. We need to be known what we're for. We're for peace and love and faith and gentleness and kindness. And what a man is a real man and a woman is a real woman. And we take those roles and we embrace who we are in Jesus through our uniqueness and our personality and our gender and our minds and our heart and everything about us you are unique and the Lord needs you to build his kingdom here in Las Cruces by just being yielded to his spirit so that he changes you